Welcome to our Carolina Roll Call, and we're so excited to have Melissa Watson on today and um, just take an opportunity to talk about her raise, catch up with her about what's going on, and, um, you know, just, just talking about some policy and getting to know Melissa Watson. And, to, Coleman? Thank you, Ja'Cory. Uh, we, we're so excited to be here today with uh, kind of kick off this week with the Democratic nominee uh, for the 7th Congressional District, Melissa Watson. Uh, this race is very important. Uh, to Ja'Cory and I because we both were born and we have grown up in the 7th Congressional District. Um, so we know this race is going to be competitive. We're really excited to watch the race develop between Tom Rice, uh, the incumbent, and Melissa. Um, and so we just want to kick off this uh, podcast and talk about the issues that are facing um, the residents of the 7th Congressional District. Um, so welcome, Melissa. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, so for Anyone who doesn't know you, um, can you please give a brief introduction of who you are as a person? Yeah, <clears throat> make sure you guys can hear me. Uh, my name is Melissa. I'm getting I doodle when I do interviews so I can make sure that I get my points out. But I, so I'm getting the paper out of my drawer. You think I would have did this in advance, but I didn't. Hey, um, I was sitting here looking around for a pencil too, so don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta have something in my hand all the time. So um, my name is Melissa Watson. I am a mom of two children. Um, one's a senior and one's a, a freshman in college. And I uh, teach and I wait tables part-time and I've been around the political scene for a minute. And um, you guys were all in the seventh congressional district. So that's very, very important to me as well. And I felt like we did not have representation that represented our um, entire district. Um, and so I decided to run for, for this particular seat because I felt like we could do better in our district. And I felt like we could have better leadership um, and better policy and better outcomes. So here I am running for Congress. So thank you for that, Melissa. And um, so first thing is, you know, this race is developing a little bit. Um, we don't know how it's going to end up yet, but what issues do you think are at the center of this race? Oh, um, there's a lot, right? Healthcare, um, economic development, infrastructure, um, education. Are the, I, you know, there are so many more. We've got um, inequality. Uh, we have um, um, the, the growing gap between rich and poor in our district. But those are the top four, I, I think. <clears throat> So you mentioned uh, healthcare, and I think that that's a really uh, important um, issue, especially for the Democrats who uh, got won the majority in the House in 2018. That was very important. They said that was the issue that helped them gain the majority. Um, so what would you do in terms of healthcare? Are you in favor of a expansion of Medicare and Medicaid? Are you a Medicare for all kind of person, or are you more in favor of like a public option? Well, you know, um, medic healthcare is, is very complicated. And so um, doing my research, I will tell you that my mom, before she passed, was on uh, Medicare, right? And so uh, Medicare, I think, is a great program. Now, I don't feel like there uh, there's enough education surrounding Medicare, but I don't know too many elderly people who don't like their Medicare. Um, I know I talked to a few elderly people who wanted to expand Medicare to include dental and some other things. So um, there's in this continuum of healthcare where you have the Affordable Care Act, you got Medicare for all, 
I would say I would be right, right in the center where we've got to fix the Affordable Care Act for sure. I don't think we're ready for Medicare for all, but we definitely should have expanded Medicaid in South Carolina because we've lost out on a lot of healthcare dollars, which would have helped a lot of people in our district. I mean, poverty is a problem in our district. And uh, when we didn't expand Medicaid, you know that we lost our rural hospitals. We lost Marlboro Park. Um, and people in Marlboro and, and those areas have to go from, they either have to go to Lombard or they have to drive to Florence to get to the nearest hospital. And that's a problem for me. You know, I want to stay on that for a second. You know, um, Senator Graham said today that, and I'm going to ask Congressman Rice the same question Friday when we speak with him. He made the comment in South Carolina, and I, and I want to get your stance on it since we're talking about health care. He said that um, the affordable health care, um, the Obamacare, what we call it, was terrible for South Carolina. So what, what, what's your opinion in that? Do you feel like Senator Graham was wrong? Do you feel like he was right? I mean. The ACA, the Affordable Care Act, was only terrible for South Carolina because we didn't expand Medicaid. So that means we lost those federal dollars. And, you know, you had uh, Mark Sanford, uh, uh, Nikki Haley, and now um, McMaster refusing to do so. And they keep, uh, we keep losing money. And we have a Republican, um, for a long time, we had a Republican Congress that did everything they could to gut the ACA. They um, shortened the, the, the window of enrollment. They didn't put the money in. Um, they did everything possible to undercut the ACA. Now, I don't think it's terrible at all. I, I know a lot of people who have it, who like it. They like the plans. There's caps for profits. Like companies can only have so much um, um, uh, profit. And then once they reach that cap, they have to reinvest in programs. So people get things like preventive health care out of the ACA that they wouldn't have before. Um, people get nutritional programs, they get uh, memberships to gyms, they get to take tests and all these things which are covered by their health care policies that didn't exist before. What we've got to stop doing is playing politics with people's lives. I mean, health care is an issue. We have lost thousands of people in this state because, med uh, because we didn't expand Medicaid in South Carolina. Um, and like I said, we lost, we lost Marlboro Park Hospital in a rural community. And I don't know, if you've never had anybody in your family have a heart attack or a stroke or um, anything else, you are very lucky. But if you've had somebody in your, in your, in your life who've, had, who's suffered one of these critical illnesses and you've had to drive them, you, you had to drive them to the hospital, you know that that is the longest drive in the world, literally. And the hospital is 15 minutes away, and you know it feels like an hour. So imagine having to drive 45 minutes or an hour to a medical facility when your loved one is having a heart attack or a stroke or something like that. And my personal opinions aside, we shouldn't play politics with people's lives. We've got to fix our healthcare system. And I'm going to Washington, D.C. when I am elected to make sure that we have solutions, not, not just talking points. And I will definitely work with whomever the president is going to be, but I, I, I know it's going to be Biden, to make sure that we have a health care plan that covers all Americans. Um, right now, we have 37 million uninsured Americans. 
And so we need to do better. So, you know, and I, I want to follow up on what I'm saying. So let's uh -huh. say, that, let's say you win and, uh -huh. and day one, you know, President Obama made the comment. He said that the, um, the Affordable Care Act was never supposed to be, this is it. It was supposed to be right. a start to healthcare. So day one, is that the first issue that you're gonna try to tackle in working with, um, you know, Majority, Majority Whip, James Clyburn, um, or, you know, and as well as people in the South Carolina, um, um, the South Carolina delegation, but how do you, once you do all of that, you work, you come up with some type of healthcare plan, how do you work with the governor and work with Republicans when they said they will not expand uh, Medicaid? Well, see, that's the thing. The next healthcare policy has got to be one that doesn't allow this option to states. So when they did the ACA, they did so trying to make sure that Republicans had a voice in this plan, that they implemented some of their changes. They really tried hard to work across the line took a year, year and a half to get anything done. You know, he was elected in two, uh, 2008. We got um, the ACA in 2010 early in the year. And, it, you know, we didn't have anything, any real legislation prior to the ACA trying to work across the line. So the president is going to roll out a healthcare plan. Of course, it's going to be a signature plan. But the beauty of that is you have this markup period. And I'm going to take advantage of the markup period um, in the ACA, a lot of you students don't know this, but the ACA, because of the markup period and a wonderful representative named John Spratt uh, took, there was some student loan reforms. And so student loans, instead of going through a middleman, you get the money from the government, they send it to a bank, the bank sends the money to the school. And the, um, in, in the ACA, they cut out the middleman. And by cutting out the middleman, that meant that uh, students saved money. And so you had lower interest rates then than you have now on student loans because that was an amendment added. It was a rider, not an amendment. It was a rider added to the um, ACA. So I, I know how important the markup period is, the, mar the um, amendments and, and, and um, the riders are. And so I'm going to look at it and make sure that that plan uh, has uh, a lot of benefits for the people of the 7th Congressional District because that is important. But the, the president is going to unleash, I'm sure, uh, if Biden is elected, he is definitely going to implement uh, um, or um, un unveil some signature health care um, um, legislation. And I hope it does include a public option because we've got to get health care costs down. All of this is, is great um, dialogue, but the, the goal is we've got to take profit out of health care. It doesn't make sense that people are paying $2,500 $3,000, $4,000, One of my friends pays $5,000. One of my friends from Toronto, um, Coleman, pays $5,000 for uh, uh, a medicine called Seljan, right? That's two mortgages for the average American. So we, we can't afford that kind of, um, that kind of, we, we gotta get our, our pharmaceuticals down. We, we have to make sure we get, um, our healthcare costs down. Most hospitals are owned by three chains in this nation, and that's a problem. So we need to also invest, we need to also in the state um, give out more certificates of need. 
you know, if you want to build a hospital, this idea that you've got to have so many beds and, and, and so many areas and that, that we limit competitions in hospital, that also drives up the cost. So wanna, we got a lot we got to do. Mm -hmm. I want to cut in right there and kind of talk about, you know, one of the other things that co is costing so much for everyday Americans is um, college. Um, college affordability yeah. is a huge issue. Um, and on, not only is healthcare uh, a burden on middle-class families and low-income families, but also uh, the cost of going to college. What kind of plans would you be in, um, in favor of? Uh, are you in favor of the, tra this, you know, the trade school option where trade school's free, or maybe it's the free public college? I mean, which, which plan are you uh, in support of? You know, President Obama and, and, uh, and now currently uh, Vice President Biden, a few years ago, um, uh, introduced a plan that for $5 billion, we could pay for community, universal community college, universal community college. So everybody in America could essentially go to community college for free. And I really support that because, you know, as the former president of USC said in a panel um, years ago that I sat on, you know, um, a USC degree um, you can get that degree if you graduate from there. I didn't say you had to start there, but if you graduate from USC, you can get a USC degree, a Clemson degree, or whatever. And that is so true. So you can go to community college, which is very affordable. It's what my, my kid, my daughter is currently doing. So I love that plan because it's not going to add trillions of dollars to the deficit, $5 billion a year. You know, we could take, we spend $40 billion a month in national defense. Um, the other thing I think we can do is we should have student loan interest capped. Uh, Congress sets the student loan interest rate. Um, and so why are we paying, you guys may not, but I'm, I'm still paying student loans. I'm paying 7%, uh, around 6.87% a month in student loan interest. That's ridiculous. Um, it shouldn't be more than 2, 2 I mean, more than 2%. Um, and that covers administrative costs. If you pay 2.99%, 3% on your house, why are we paying 7% on student loans? Um, that is something that gets my go even before I started running for office. I put together a petition. It has like 50,000, 60,000 signatures. I hadn't checked it in a while um, to cap student loan interest at 2%. Because here's the deal. Student, loan, um, student loans are $1.5 trillion of debt right now. It's the highest it's ever been. And here's what we know. You're more likely to borrow money if you're a person of color because you don't have that generational wealth. Um, grandma didn't leave you a bunch of money to pay for college when she passed if you're a person of color. And, and, and the other thing is this. Most people have paid um, the, the money they, they've borrowed in student loans, but what that has happened is because the, the interest rates have kept going up and compounding it has added to their balance over the years. And I don't understand why a country like ours would allow student loan Congress, and this is a Congress issue. So one of the first bills I will introduce is the cap student loan interest at 2%. There's no reason it shouldn't pass um, because it's not gonna add to the deficit, not gonna cost us any more money. The students will be paying their interest. So while we work out student loan debt as, a, as an issue, we're, I'm going to um, make sure that I introduce that bill and it should pass because Congress sets the interest rates for student loans. And if we can have a 199 
uh, interest rate for your house or $299 for your house, we definitely should um, offer a, a same low rate for students. So those are the two things um, that I'm most interested in. Congressman Clyburn and Elizabeth Warren had a um, plan to forgive, I think, up to $50,000 worth of student loan debt. Um, and I, I like that when they unveiled it at South Carolina State. But two things that we could do tomorrow that's not going to add to the deficit, universal community college, that would include trade schools, and lowering that, capping that interest um, on up to 2% on student loans. And I'll jump in here, you know, just to move from, um, move from education a little bit, let's talk about the environment. Um, Melissa, do you believe um, in climate change? Yes, I do. I do know it exists. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of controversy um, if it is or is not a thing. But I think for us that live um, close to the beach, we understand the importance of, um, we understand that there, the, 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 there is, climate change is a thing. We trust the scientists. And we realize that the oceans are rising and many other things that's happening around us. So with that mm -hmm. being said, Joe Cunningham, um, a first-term um, Congress member, passed the bill, offshore drilling bill, and there wasn't much, it did pass, but it was not much support from the South Carolina delegation. How would you have voted on that? I know that your opposition voted no on that bill. Can you speak a little bit about Joe Cunningham's offshore drilling bill? Yeah, I would have supported to ban um, offshore drilling and fracking off of our coast. And I know that, you know, because of the state of the race in Georgia, because of the state of the races in South Carolina, because of the state of the races in Florida, the president said, okay, we're going to have a moratorium on offshore oil drilling on the coast. Well, you know, I don't, I used to teach geography, but I, I'm no oceanographer. But here's what I know. Currents move uh, water and oil. So if we allow drilling in North Carolina, that's going to affect us in South Carolina. I mean, Wilmington, Cherry Grove, Myrtle Beach, um, they, they're all right there together. And so I, I definitely would always support a ban on offshore oil drilling. Listen, Myrtle Beach, 20.4 million people travel to Myrtle Beach every single year. We, have a, we make billions and billions of dollars in the PD from tourism. Just people driving through our towns to get to Myrtle Beach. Why would we want to mess up that delicate, um, that delicate industry? And this is the other thing we know. We know that um, this week we've had uh, remnants of a hurricane, tropical depression, and we've had tornadoes touchdown in Myrtle Beach and Dillon. That is directly related to this extra activity in the Atlantic. So if we drill it off the coast of Atlantic, we're going to be the new Gulf of, of Mexico where all of these storms are gonna come through, the waters are gonna be so warm and it's just gonna wreak havoc and those um, hurricanes are gonna spin and just, just you know, uh, decimate our coastline over and over again, which is what's happening in the Gulf because they offshore oil drill and the waters are warmer, right? Uh, you know, according to oceanographers, that water is just downright hot. And who goes to vacation off the coast of Galveston, Texas? Nobody. Have you ever been to a beach off the coast of Texas? It's horrible. So I don't want to be that. I want to be a champion for making sure we keep our beaches pristine. And I would actually um, call on the governor of South Carolina to put more money in the budget 
to nourish the beaches in um, Myrtle Beach, to add more um, um, sand, and uh, to also make sure we clean up um, and, and repair the sewage systems down there, and that we keep our beaches cleaner. Uh, we need more money in the budget uh, for those projects. I want to go off what you said uh, about tourism in South Carolina. One of Congressman Rice's big proposals is this I-73, and we've been hearing about it for the last eight years that he has been in Congress. Um, will this be a priority for you? Um, I know there's a lot of local leaders around our communities. They're just not very uh, enthusiastic, as, as Congressman Rice says, about this issue, because exactly what you said, all these tourists are driving through our little small towns, and uh, mm -hmm. this is probably something that would uh, probably eliminate so many businesses. What, what is your take on I-73? Well, here's the thing. There are a lot of people in Horry County who don't like the idea of expanding I-73 either because, you know, as they say in Horry, I mean, you're dumping all of this traffic into nowhere. There's nowhere for it to go. And so um, here, expand I-73 because, you know, when a hurricane happens and we have to evacuate, I was talking about this with my students earlier um, this week, the um, it's a nightmare because we have to evacuate start and week out and we don't even know where the storm is going. So an evacuation on the East Coast is Florida, Georgia, South Carolina all the time. And we have to move. We have to move because we don't know where it's going to go, but it takes so long to move millions of people off that coast till we have to start early and it's annoying. Um, but, you know, better safe than sorry. So I-73 would help to alleviate some of that and move some of that traffic in, in um, case of a natural disaster. But what I've decided is when I win is we're going to have, uh, we're going to get together state leaders, um, local leaders, uh, our congressional delegation. When uh, Jamie becomes the senator, we'll bring him in. And we're going to um, uh, come together with a united plan because we can, the money to extend I-73, you know, Horry County passed the tax to come up with their part of the money. The legislature in South Carolina, the head of the transportation board said he will not authorize the money. Um, he is a Republican, a good old friend, I'm sure, of Tom Rice, unless there is a bill in the South Carolina uh, legislature to authorize it. So he's not authorizing any money out of that, that um, the chairman of the board, transportation board is not authorizing any money. He's from Spartanburg now, mind you. Um, Ja'Cory, he's from Spartanburg, won't authorize any of that money um, unless there's a bill. So you have all of these Republicans down in, in, in uh, Myrtle Beach, they need to get on the phone and introduce a bill so that that money can be authorized, right? And it should pass overwhelmingly. Now, if you go to Spartanburg and you go to Greenville, they have no, there's not a pothole in a street in Greenville or Spartanburg when you're riding. Um, that's that's not but, true. That's uh, not true. On the side, but your, your freeways and highways are the best in the state. Absolutely. And I, and I will say that. I think one of the big, uh -huh. biggest things to talk about with the economy when we say that, we think about their inlet port and we look at the expansion that Greer mm -hmm. has done and Greenville and Spartanburg, ha Spartanburg has um, benefited from it. So mm -hmm. I do have some positives about this I-73 and I have some negatives and I'll just make the comment briefly. It's not really a question. The positive about it is it brings billions of dollars and um, in investments um, to 
um, places like Marion, Marlboro, Dillon, things as it gets built, as traffic is moving through it. My fear is when the when the road is built, um, with there not being a um, intersection off in um, in Dillon or something like that, that we can lose some businesses. Um, we can mm -hmm. lose those local leaning businesses. I understand the importance of the investment to the state, to the congressional district. I just don't know um, how beneficial it would be for rural, the communities. But that's the same argument people made about I-95 years ago. So who knows? Right. And you look at the I-95 corridor, it's still very poor. But the other problem I have, the, the caution, is that I want to make sure that we're building, you know, you go into Barnborough, Dillon, down through uh, number nine. The caution that I have um, with I-73 is this. Flooding. A lot of those um, route, the, the route that it's going through, a lot of that's prone to flooding through Dillon, through number nine, through Riverdale. There's a lot of flooding there. And um, if we're gonna build IC3, we've gotta make sure that we have the infrastructure and the drainage in place for all of this displaced water that will come because we just ran a major highway and a bunch of concrete down through there with no drainage. And we see that in Marion, a lot uh, with their expansion of highways, we've got to make sure, we've got to desperately make sure that we think about flooding and this, this displaced water that's going to be moved whenever it rains or whenever there's a hurricane or a storm or whatever. And so as we build it, we, we got we to be careful. We, and that's the thing that really concerns me the most when you're talking about building this highway through small towns is now we're going to exacerbate the flooding issues. Um, that they're already seeing. So uh, there's a lot of planning that has to be done. We've got to get this money allocated, but we need leadership. And, um, you know, Senator Graham and Tom Rice talk about leading on this issue. In his debate the other night, Senator Graham said, oh, yeah, I'm for, million, for, I'm for trillions of dollars in new infrastructure spending. Well, guess what? Both of them had a chance to vote for a trillion, uh, uh, $1.5 trillion in new infrastructure spending, and they voted against it. So again, we've got to stop electing people that go to DC and say one thing, do one thing, and tell us something different at home. Let's, let's keep going on these issues about the economy and about infrastructure, um, and let's apply that to our rural areas of our district. Um, so, you know, the seventh congressional district is mostly rural. I mean, we, we have, I guess we have Myrtle Beach and we have Florence, but I mean, what I don't really know what a big city we have. Uh, we have 70 places across this district that don't even know they're in the district. They don't know who their congressman is. Some of them don't, because um, I've heard it from the direct mouse. I'm not uh, taking a political stance here. I've heard people in my community say, who's our congressman? I've never, you know, that they made that comment. I'm not, you know, that's, I'm not from right. here. So what, what will you do for our rural communities in terms of the economy, in terms of infrastructure, to make sure that they don't continue to fall farther and farther behind our other areas of the district like Florence and even Myrtle Beach? Expand rural broadband, number one. You gotta expand rural broadband. Um, we all, we know, cause we're from the seventh, we know, you know, we go through certain areas, we lose service, you know. Um, but I also will do more than visit um, rural areas when I have a, a very hot contested election too. You know, I, I was in Toronto, um 
two, three weeks ago. And I was in Patrick, South Carolina. So I know rural America, I think it's beautiful. I actually think Chesterfield, you know, that's one of the counties that I didn't know as well. Um, it's the one, it's the county, honestly, that I knew the least um, in the whole district. And I just spending time in Chesterfield, man, I've fallen in love. It's beautiful. Um, and the the, um, the national, I mean, the, the state forest is there. It's just gorgeous. And I, I uh, my dad's a hunter. And I was like, why don't you ever hunt in Chesterfield? He hunts on private property, but he was like, I don't want to go up there and hunt. I like hunting local home, you know, but I, I would love to go spend some time in the, in the forest and just hang out for a little bit. But we have, we talk about investment and growth and investment and growth is good, but I like our hometown flavor. So when we're expanding on I-73 or we're bringing in businesses, I want to make sure that we keep our local flavor. There are a lot of abandoned factories and things already here. So as we expand and grow, I hope that we, uh, instead of letting them cut down our forests and trees and adding to our environmental issues, I'm hoping, you know, smart zoning and, and, and people, um, we put the right people in, on the local boards that will say, listen, there's an abandoned site here. You have to um, redevelop this site and we'll help you. There's an abandoned site there. Um, let's, let's redevelop that. Let's not mess let's let's make sure that our urban planning is is um good and let's just stop urban sprawl and let's let's do a better job i've, I've been on in a lot of areas and um we haven't done a good job with urban sprawl and i want to make sure that we don't allow urban small in our rural communities that we use what is already there we zone for what's already there and uh, we keep our small town flavor i i want Dylan to grow i want marlboro chesterfield all of our rural areas to grow, but I want us to keep what makes us special. And that's our, that's our hometown flavor. So I want to cut in really quick because I want to ask you two questions really quick um, before our time starts to end together. But these are two questions that I think we need to talk about. So, you know, looking at the death rate for COVID, we're up to 216,000 people dead mm -hmm. of COVID. Um, we look here in South Carolina, we have 3,000 plus people dead of COVID. Um, so as a leader, you, you know, in a system where you can't even um, probably go door to door at this point because people want to be six feet apart, how do you mend that? How do you get to Washington and help either if it's President Trump or President Joe Biden find a cure? Americans in your district and South Carolinians to trust the um, vaccine that they're given. How do you help with this COVID pandemic? Wear a mask. Hands down, let's wear a mask. I mean, I, I work in some pretty high traffic industries. I went back to work waiting tables because the summertime is when I make, uh, you know, the bank of my money wait, waiting tables. So the I think the primary is like June 9th or 10th. I went back to work on June 11th waiting tables and there was no mask ordinances anywhere at the time when they opened back up the state, but I put on a mask at work. And um, there were outbreaks and I, I'm, you know, thank God I've, I've not contracted COVID, but I wear a mask, I social distance, I wash my hands, I try to do what I'm supposed to. And then I teach, okay? And so um, wear a mask. I don't, you know, I'll probably, if I catch COVID, I, I'll probably survive. But my 85 year old aunt won't, my 89 year old friend and Marion may not, and so we've got 
we've come to a part in our country, and this makes me sad, where we don't think about the other person. You, you know, you, Corey and Coleman, y'all are vibrant young men. You catch COVID, it's a, it's a good deal for you. You get sick here on the couch. But if your grandparents or somebody else catch it, they may not be so lucky. And so I think we, it's going to take us a while to develop a safe vaccine, but everybody can do their part. It's not, a, it's not a political statement. It just says, I care enough about you to stop the spread. When I am out there all the time, canvassing, meeting people, I have on a mask. I don't, don't go in anybody's home. I don't shake anybody's hand, carry hand sanitizer. And I tell them, I'm not afraid of COVID. I will probably be okay, but I am concerned for you, your grandchildren, your children, um, and I don't want to be the person you get it from. And the, you know, um, the other problem is healthcare. We know in this state um, that we're in a high poverty area, and the fact that this disease um, has um, severe outcomes for African Americans more, more, more so because they have lack of primary care. Um, 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 the mentality that goes going to the doctor because you know it's an expensive proposition and most people only want to go to the doctor when they feel when they're not uh, when they're you know gravely ill um, and so they're not going to get the treatment they're not going to have the funds to pay for the treatment or a test or whatever else and so like everything else in America African Americans are going to suffer greatly and let, um, let's take a moment there. Let, let, mm -hmm. Let's take a moment right there on that comment. Um, mm -hmm. And let, let's dissect that for a moment. You know, mm -hmm. everyone that we have on this show, um, I don't care if they're Republican or um, Democrat, I've asked them this question. Um, and some have strayed from actually answering the question and some have answered it. But I think it's important that we talk about this question. You look at George Floyd. You look at Breonna Taylor. You look at the... Mm -hmm community and the country of absolute chaos with each other and our fellow neighbor, you know, um, with seeing cops as demonizing or seeing each other as people that we just do not like. How do you as a leader bring the seven district together? How do you show that if you're a Republican, you can still see where there's issues with racial tension? And if you're a Democrat, you don't hate the cops. How do you bring that together? I have, I have a nephew that's a cop. I have an adopted son that's a cop. Um, and so here's the deal. It's, it's real simple. It's called compassion, right? Listen, here's, people commit crimes, okay? And I was just looking at this um, the other day. The Charleston City Police Department did uh, an audit, and it made the paper. They were asked by the Charleston Area Justice Ministry to do this audit after, you know, Walter Scott, blah, blah, blah. And this is what they found. In their own personal internal audit, African-Americans are overrepresented in traffic stops, right? Overrepresented. And if you're African-American, you're 145% more likely to get a citation from the traffic stop, okay? The deal is this, if I get stopped by the cops and you get stopped by the cops and Coleman gets stopped by the cops, we should all have the same outcome. The, the, the truth of the matter is you're more likely to get in a confrontation 
you are 100, you are 265% more likely to be searched, your car, um, and you're 300 and something percent more likely to be killed or shot by a cop. It doesn't matter um, what you did. Those are your outcomes. In this, in this state, in this state, Dylan Roof walked into a, uh, a Bible study, massacred nine people, left here, drove up to Shelby, North Carolina, had a most wanted, uh, whatever you call it, out on him, whatever you call it, right? They found him, took him into custody. He had guns in the back of his car, AR-15, nine millimeter. He was hungry. They stopped by Burger King, got him something to eat, knowing he was wanted for killing nine people. He admitted to it, put him on a bulletproof vest to save his life. And George Floyd was accused of passing a fake $20 bill and a cop kneeled on his neck. Three other cops laid on his back and killed him eight minutes and 46 seconds. It's simple. If my, if my nephew is in uniform, he should be safe. And if he's driving in his truck and is stopped by a cop, he should be safe too. And if he's accused for a crime, he has every right under the constitution of this great nation to be tried in a court of law and not on the sidewalk by a cop. Simple. Thank you for that um, answer. I'll be honest with you. Of all the people we've interviewed, that's probably the most clear and direct response to that question we've got. We've got a lot of vague um, issue, uh, vague answers. Maybe they don't know how to respond. Uh, but at the end of the day, at, at this point in this country, all of us who people, all of us who are uh, Caucasian, we're we're sitting here and we're listening. We're we're trying to listen and learn and think about ways. At least I am about how to be more anti-racist. Um, so thank you for that answer. Um, but we want to, as we close out the interview, we kind of want to move into some more broadly speaking questions about the race. Well, before, we, before we do that, I want to follow up on the statement you made and Melissa made. And I, and I think that's why these conversations are so important. You know, we look at how polarizing on um, Facebook at, is at the touch of our hand, you know. And, you know, I read some posts and I read some comments and I say, you know, people just can't believe this stuff. You know, and it, I, I laugh about it, you know, because I'm thinking if we're able to just sit here and listen that other people may have had a different view of the world than I have. And I want to see how I can do my part to change that. So I think in this conversation, we develop that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a start. Mm -hmm. Listen, people commit crimes. But at the end of the day, if justice is blind, we should have the same result regardless of the color of your skin. And here is the problem, if we're honest. We find black skin to be uh, 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 intimidating or we're afraid of it. And this is teaching, teaching, me teaching. I think of, I look at every kid in that classroom and I say to, this self, to myself, what if this was my daughter or what, is this, what if this was my son? And I want to treat them the same. And when we look at people of color, when we're doing traffic stops, we need to say the same thing. This guy had an AR-15 and a nine millimeter on the back of his seat in Shelby, North Carolina. He ran out of gas. He was taken into custody safely. 
and was stopped by Burger King because the cop had the common courtesy to ask if he was hungry. And Breonna Taylor was laying in her bed and she is dead. Ahmaud Arbery was uh, jogging. Uh, George Floyd was, you know, at a store. And the outcomes were different. And here's the other thing. This is internal police, not Ms. Watson's, not mine. Every time that the people were stopped and the cops were asked, why did you stop me? African-Americans were more likely to get a non-answer than whites because there's no standard of procedure for stopping people doing a traffic stop. And so we know the racial profiling exists. Um, the evidence proves it. Now, how do we move away from it? How do we move away from it? That's, that's the question. And we cannot move away and grow until we admit we have a problem. And the research shows that we have a problem. That's it. Nobody's anti-cop. You know, if I get suspicious person, African-American of, of the suspicious person's calls in the same study, African-Americans at 75% were called for suspicious persons. 75% of suspicious persons' calls were the people were African-American. Suspicious person. There's, you know, hello. That initiates a problem right there. We have a suspicious person. I was stopped at my own house by my neighbor. And Are it, you it's, lost? It's not just, it's not just, um, even with police, there's other areas of life as well. Right. That even in the last few months and in time of this country that I've learned that uh, people of color face, you know, the microaggressions um, or even, uh, you know, discrimination in terms of their schooling, in terms of applying for a mortgage or a home loan, um, even in applying for a job. Um, those are all areas where, you know, there is issues, um, both financially or in terms of the economy, where there is people actively working against um, mm -hmm. the advancement of people of color, uh, which yes. is really sad. And I just want to make that my final comment on that subject. I think I, that was that was a very comprehensive answer you gave us, and uh, we really thank you for that. Um, so now we're going to move, kind of focus on Congressman Rice. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's running to serve a fifth term this week, and if he if he won, it'd be ten years for him in D.C. Uh, how would you rate his job performance? And why should voters elect you over him in this election? Well, let's go by what he says. He said when he took office in 2013, he was in favor of term limits, three terms, right? He's uh, working on his fifth. So he's not honorable. Um, he, he said in here he would support an offshore drilling ban. He went to Washington and voted against it. Right, he said here he was in favor of of uh, infrastructure uh, spending, and then went to D.C. and voted against it. He voted against the women, uh, Violence Against Women Act. He voted against um, the child care uh, help for child care during COVID Act. You know, he voted against extending uh, unemployment benefits uh, and so many other things. So when I go to D.C., I know I work for the people. I've been working for people all my life. I was, you know, six years in Army Reserves, teacher, server. I know who I am responsible to, and he's responsible to the lobbyists and the PACs that uh, provide 90% of his campaign. Uh, none of that. 
So the little money we have have come from, you know, moms and pops and everything like that. And that's who I work for. We've got to have a more balanced approach in this country. We have a the divide between um, rich and poor is growing. Um, and and I was watching a, a special on home ownership. Home ownership is at its lowest it's ever been in America. Um, you know, the the house that Archie Bunker lived in. Um, in this report is now owned by a CEO of a bank. I mean, that's, you know, that was considered middle-class housing during the Archie Bunker show in the seventies. And now it's owned by the CEO of a bank. So what does that tell you about home ownership? It is out of the reach of most Americans. So I want to swing that pendulum back to the center and I want our focus to be taking care of the shrinking middle-class. And one thing I want to, ask you a question about we talked a lot about partisan um partisan questions we talked a lot about uh being in opposition to um you know you run as a democrat obviously uh you're not in favor you don't think congressman rice has done a great job as a congressman um but what tell us about a time when you worked together with someone who you didn't agree with uh every day every day every single day um you know when i was in army reserves we had a we had a saying that um, there are no um, atheists in foxholes, right? So I've I've not served in combat, you know. Um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in the reserves, and I was thankful for it. But I wasn't in combat. But when you're practicing war games, you don't care if that person next to you is white, black, gay. You don't care. You know, you just want to get the mission done. And so I do that every single day of my life. You know, I don't I don't really care. You know, who you sleep with, who you love. Uh, I really don't care about your race. I just want to know if you can get the job done. And I'm going to take that attitude to Congress. Um, here's, here are my priorities, and I want to know if you can help me, uh, help me get the job accomplished. I, people who know me, there's a saying that everybody needs a Watson. That's what my friends um, say, because they know I work really hard to get things done all the time. I do. You know, I'm, I have Republican friends um, all the time. Um, and I, they, I haven't lost any of them yet um, because they know who I am as a person. And I'm, I'm kind of grateful for that because I am kind of outspoken, but I understand this. There was a time in this country where it didn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you just wanted to work for what was in the best interest of our country. And I want us to get back to that because when you put country first, you're going to find a middle ground. You've got to do what's necessary to compromise. Um, the, the Constitution itself is a huge compromise. Um, and Ben Franklin said it best. He said, um, when you bring a bunch of men together with their own interests and their own desires, and you put together one of the uh, most perfect documents in the world, you know, that says a lot. And that, that came because they put the new nation first. And we need to get we need to get back to that. I'm sitting up here looking at my copy of the Federalist Papers and the Founding Fathers right now um, as we we're finishing this uh, uh, interview. So I'm, I'm going to close this out. Um, you know, I think you've done a very good job today. And I, it gave the voters in the 7th Congressional District an opportunity to meet you. And, um, you know, I see your tweets. And I, and I one thing that raised a... Um, something you tweeted about that I, I, I raised a concern for me and voters in the 7th Congressional District is something I'm going to ask Congressman Rice about as well. Will there be a debate between you and Congressman Rice? 
Well, I said I was open to a debate whenever he was free because he was a congressman and I know he was busy. And he sent back dates of the week of the 19th. This was way back in the early part of September. And then he canceled. He canceled and said he couldn't put it in his schedule um, the week of the 19th, even though he, he put it. It was that, that week was the week that he decided on. Now he's transcended that. But that's along his character. He does that a lot. Um, you know, we're here, we'll say one thing, we change our mind, we'll do something else, and that's not leadership. So we've put together our own videos of um, our own debates, uh, my issues versus his, uh, because he refuses to do it. I mean, several uh, SCETV wanted to do not a debate, just a town hall where um, we got together and did, uh, he did 30 minutes, sort of what uh, Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison did. You speak 30 minutes, she speaks 30 minutes. Moderators, separate rooms, all of that. And he declined, he declined that as well. Um, so I don't know what he's afraid of. I'm just a teacher. That's it. Well, thank you uh, for that. I, and I'm reminded of, uh, you know, there was a big debate for uh Senate race in Kentucky this week. And, uh, uh, What's it? Mitch McConnell said of his opponent, I think her whole campaign, she's a mom, she's a Marine. Um, I think what you said, you said, I'm just a teacher. That just reminded me of that. Uh, we hope that for our viewers that this, um, these interviews will kind of serve, we're asking all the same questions across many different topics. Uh, we hope that this will serve as a uh, butter guide for our viewers in the 7th Commercial District. Mm -hmm. So thank you for coming on today. Um, and we really are looking forward to uh, providing this interview for our viewers and then also providing an interview of Congressman Rice later in the week. And let's, let's, let's close out by saying this. We always go around and do something that um, is important. And I want to do this today. You know, Oprah made the comment. She said, when I go vote, I go vote for my um, granddad that stood in the line for several, several um, years trying to get the opportunity. So mm -hmm. I want to go around today, and I just want us to say, why do we vote? Why should people vote? Why is it so important? Not all of those. Just say one thing as in my kids, my family, health care. So I'll start. We, I vote because I know the importance of it. I know the importance of the rural community for us to have a vote, a voice. Okay. Well, I vote for my children. I vote for democracy. I vote for my students. Um, and I vote to save our Constitution. I vote because I, I live in a rural community like um, both of you or uh, you've grown up in one. Um, and I vote for uh, public education as my mom, my dad, my sister will be a future teacher um, and my aunts. Uh, they're all in public education. Uh, I think that's such an important thing um, for um, us to vote for. Um, so we're gonna end it right here. Thank you for everyone giving their, their, uh, their reason for voting. Voting is so important and it's going on right now. And we hope all of our listeners will have enjoyed this podcast and afterward they're more motivated to vote than they were before they watched. So thank you everyone for joining us today. 